Hey, back on another one, Dr. Zero Trust Show. I'm here with uh, Jackson is what he likes to go by. His real name is Alon Jackson. Um, I'll let him give his quick intro on who he is and what he does and where he came from. So go ahead, Jackson. Hey, Chase. Thanks very much for having me here. Um, so I'm uh, Alon Jackson, as you said, Jackson, uh, the CEO and the co-founder of Asterix. We're creating the first app-to-app security platform. Um, yeah, before this, I was actually head of R&D group at Argus company that does actually also a startup that uh, does automotive cybersecurity. So basically hacking into cars and stuff like that. And prior to that, so spent over 11 years at A200, the cybersecurity um, unit here in Israel. Um, the last position there, I was in charge of uh, the cloud department. So basically what we're doing now from the other side of the coin uh, over there, of course. And yeah, prior to that, so many different, you know, uh, management roles, team leads, uh, you know, hands-on, stuff like that. In between, I actually took a year off, joined Tel Aviv University, did my master's thesis in cryptography. Um, so quite a geeky guy in heart. And, and, and not crypto, you know, the coins, um, actual crypto. So you didn't, uh, you didn't partner up with Matt Damon on something? Yeah, you know, when you say crypto today, everything everything is just about the crypto coins, right? Yeah. Uh, people kind of forget uh, that it's based on, on actual crypto. Yeah, right. Everybody forgets yeah. that there was cryptography before there was those uh, crypto coins and Shiba Inu and whatever else. Absolutely. So the way that this all, uh, our conversation began was really, um, you, y'all pinged me about this whole GitHub thing. And I want to explore this because I think this leads well into your particular thing that you do in the context of zero trust. So what, what the GitHub, let's explain a little bit about the GitHub bug that we originally talked about. So GitHub detected a bug in their applications, allowing privilege escalation from read permission to its equivalent write permission within a five-day time frame, a bad actor, somebody could have used that bug to obtain access, which could jeopardize enterprise systems that are integrated with GitHub apps, which could cause long-term stuff. So that's a really um, long-form way of basically saying that this was a, a bad bug within the GitHub uh, side of things. And I, I guess I want to explore from there how you see this fitting into the enterprise problem and the the issue that people face with this type of threat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so first of all, this bug, of course, is just an example, right. Um, to how integrated things are today and how fragile these integrations are. And actually integration is a big word, right? People usually, you know, connect things. We need to get the job done. Um, we do it, you know, as quick as possible. We see that it works and then, you know, if it works, don't fix it, don't touch it. Right. Um, and really, we're in this world of hyper-connectivity, hyper-automation, where everything is connected to everything in a, an increasing pace. Um, so this bug really just, you know, is, is just another good um, demonstration of how fragile these kind of uh, connections are that really go under the radar. We're super focused on user access management, right? So when you think of programmable accesses, so these third-party integrations that are connected to our core systems, we kind of forget about it. So as you said, in this in, in this specific bug, really a third-party app that we consented to only get read access, right, now could really escalate his uh, privilege and get write access. And this, of course, has, you know, tremendous um, implications on, you know, on security and, of course, compliance uh, for organizations today. And, yeah, and just like we used to have vulnerabilities on on-prem environments, so an app, third-party app that I've installed that got privilege escalation and now could uh, perform more actions on my computer, right? So this is, of course, not a personal computer. This is a core platform uh, that most organizations today use to really hold their intellectual property. Um, 
And, and when you think of it, you know, a kind of example, just to understand how crazy this is, even after the bug was, you know, uh, fixed by GitHub and, you know, organization could have uh, disconnected maybe, right? Um, malicious third parties. So during this window, right, that the third party had to, uh, uh, had access to uh, uh, write permissions, the, the attacker could actually open a webhook, which, you know, now provides persistence way to leak uh, data out of this platform, even after the third party is uh, is revoked and taken off. So just that kind of example of what write permissions can provide the third party apps today to to actually perform. Yeah, and I think I think that there's a point to really make here is that a lot of people consider GitHub and some of these uh, kind of open source e type solutions and applications. They think that there's security built into it. And those things are just like any other app. They have flaws and risk associated with them. And it, I mean, I don't know about you, but I find that a lot of people have that mis, misconception as they think, well, if everybody's putting their code and developing on this thing, then it must be safe to use, right? Yeah, yeah. There's this thing, you know, of social acceptance, right? We're, we're you know, you won't get fired if you're doing what 90% of everybody's doing. But I think I think the, the major issue that we're finding is the platforms are, themselves are putting a lot of effort, right? When you think of Salesforce, when you think of 365, Slack, GitHub, right? They're trying to do their best to uh, be secure. And, you know, you can't really compare their security budget to the security budget of all the third parties, uh, the small little tools, plugins, right? Extensions that we uh, connect day in, day out on top of these platforms, right? And that's really where the, the major uh, uh, threat lies because, no, bugs to, to GitHub, as I said, that's a good example. It even shows, you know, that such a big, uh, such a big platform that, uh, by the way, is owned by Microsoft, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, uh, these yeah. days. Even they have, you know, vulnerability. So what does it mean for all the other hundreds of third-party apps that we have in the organization? That's why, you know, we always say that it's not a matter of if, right? It's a matter of when. We have so many of them. Um, yeah, so it, it, it will happen. It's just a matter of time. Well, and, uh, you know, you're talking about third party piece, too, because that I think that that to me, like the this whole security architecture and, you know, the way that we've built things right now. I mean, it's all a house of cards. There's so I think there's like, I don't know, eight people that actually make the Internet work. And then the rest of it is just <laughs> kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that the electrons continue to move. But these these third party risks and the way that we build um applications and etc on on the net now i mean it all just continually increases exposure and risk and it i don't know what it's going to take but it, i think that there's a a watershed moment coming in the future i don't know what it's going to be but it, it definitely makes me think that um we're just standing there waiting for the hurricane to hit this house of cards yeah it's absolutely one of the cloud uh, whiplashes you know we're seeing we're seeing it the last couple of events like we said about github right actually mailchimp uh, just lately had the same thing we had the breach to okta just lately so you know it's increasing and happening all these super interconnected uh, uh, really api based right integrations between apps are getting like hacked one after the other other uh, so it's really one of those kind of uh, cloud whiplashes that the uh, modern enterprises are are dealing with and really, you know, 90% of our third-party apps, they are cloud-based. That's how modern enterprises uh, are built. And as you said, with third parties today, so we have questionnaires, we have security scores. These kind of, you know, tools and processes are just outdated when you think of the pace of adoption 
of uh, bottom-up, right? Self-served end users just connecting, clicking uh, things, uh, connecting them to their accounts. Uh, yeah, so, you know, besides just uh, being time-consuming, being a point of time, this type of TPRM, third-party risk management solutions, are really not adopted, uh, uh, not uh, adequate, right, uh, for the modern world. This is part, of course, of, uh, of what we're doing here at Asterix. Yeah, so let's explore that a little bit because what you're doing is is interesting because I haven't talked with a whole lot of folks specifically they're doing things around API and application to application side of uh, security. So can you kind of run through what you're doing and how that's I guess different and newish to the market? Sure, sure. So so in Asterix, we're really looking and we're understanding that apps today are becoming more and more like platforms that enable or actually encourage end users to connect and build on top of these uh, core platforms. And it could be anything from a CRM like Salesforce or GitHub, our intellectual property in, uh, sorry, Salesforce or HubSpot, right? Our intellectual property in GitHub, um, any communication like Slack, 365, or even data storages like um, Snowflake or BigQuery. They all have these different API connections that we uh, connect to them to really inter uh, uh, to really work with them in a more uh, modern way and not just manually. And we're seeing two types of connections. The first ones are third-party apps that connect to our core system. This, of course, inherently has security and compliance uh, issues to it. Um, if you actually had to hear about the Travis CI and Heroku incidents on top of uh, just happened uh, maybe two months ago, uh, so that's exactly uh, some of those. And the other kind of connections are actually not third-party apps but the organization itself that wants to write automations, right, and work in a non-manual way with these platforms. This is done today by more technical end users like IT developers, security guy, DevOps guys. Um, so they generate secrets, service accounts, API keys, tokens to really work with these in a non-manual way, right? So writing scripts or code and stuff like that. But also less technical guys with automation platforms like Zapier, Workato, um, use of Dell Boomi, you know, it's a, it's a long list. And there's actually the space of low code and no code is getting a lot of traction today with the modern enterprises because uh, it really enables this uh, notion of citizen developers, yeah, that enable any, any end user today to connect these apps to each other, create these automations. Um, and really, we're seeing this ops trend, right? This operations trend. Um, so all this is part of this trend of the API economy, of connected apps. And really in Asterix, we're creating, as I said, the first app-to-app -app security platform to really enable um, cloud-based organizations today to unleash the power of automation and apps integrations while still keeping this tangled web of third-party apps um, under control. Yeah, because it's uh, you, you mentioned low-code and no-code and that type of stuff. I mean, I, I think that that's not something that a lot of folks are really addressing as far as in introducing risk and threat is anybody anywhere nowadays, you don't have to have a degree in computer science. You don't have to understand how a computer works to go off and build an application. And that, that, like you said, it's, it's sort of cobbled together with other bits of code and different uh, building blocks to make it work. And then you dump it onto some network and, you know, no one's done anything to really secure that. It, that, that continually increases the risk profile, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a drag, drag and drop these days, right? So I want this tool to do that. I want this notification to go there. If something is updated on my database, I want to know about it. I want to flow the information to my ticketing systems and so on and so forth. Um, 
And really, you know, we're seeing the trend. Of course, we all know what DevOps is, right? So DevOps is basically automating stuff to make the life of developers easier in testing and everything, right? And the trend of everything ops, as we call it, is that today we have FinOps, we have product ops, we have SecOps, right? Everything ops, every department has this, actually it's a role, right? There are, there are guys, this is, you know, what they actually do. Uh, they do product ops, they do marketing ops. So they tie all these apps together, creating this automation and workflows to really um, automate and be more efficient, right? Uh, in what the department does. And this actually takes all our apps together, tying them uh, with these uh, workflows to, of course, our core systems. It could be databases, CRM, right? Our actual product. Uh, yeah, so, you know, citizen developers, it's kind of here already. It's, uh, of course, going to increase. And this is part of this uh, interconnectivity trend uh, that we're seeing uh, with the organization. And maybe last thing, also interesting to note. So these platforms that enable you to drag and drop and connect things, they're taking high um, privileges connecting to your core system because they actually need it. And when you think of it, they're, you know, they're the modern admin, right? They have this high <laughs> access to all our core systems because we don't know what kind of recipe, what kind of workload we want to do um, tomorrow. And this, you know, has to be enabled by default. Um, and most organizations that we talk with, actually any organization that actually uses these kind of automation platforms, also called integration platforms, iPasses, really look at it as a black hole, right? This hub of integration that the CISO's got no idea what's going on there, what's flowing where. It's kind of the modern IP tables you want to control and, uh, and uh, mandate and, you know, just has zero visibility into uh, what's going on there and how data and operations are flowing. Yeah, I, I mean, there's this term in the industry, right? It's SDLC, Secure Development Lifecycle. I personally think that that's just been kind of shoved into the you know mm -hmm. common conversation. I I have yet to run into an organization that really has a full-on practice around secure dev, et cetera. It's just most of the time, and I can't really recall a single instance other than this, where it's been people are deving things and dev is doing what dev is doing and then security is trying to keep up with it and keep some control around the side of it. And I mean, it's, I think it's personally, I think it's unfair to the developers and the development community to say, Hey, you guys need to know how to do security as well. I don't know how to do good code, but I don't know how to do security. Like those two things shouldn't be, um, kind of you know, dependent on each other as far as organizationally, at least that's my opinion. Yeah, and think about the non-technical guys, right, who are building these low-code, no-code apps today, right? So, you know, we're moving from the application security to the low-code, no-code application security, right? Um, they actually have got no idea because, you know, it's not their job. They don't need to be security guys. They want to get the job done. Um, we call it kind of consent fatigue, right? You drag and drop, you, you connect things, you get a click here. You've got no idea what you're accepting. You just want to get uh, this app uh, rolling. Um, so you just click consent, connect this third party to an account of yours in, I don't know, it could be Salesforce, it could be your uh, G Suite, whatever. And, you know, you get rolling with it, right? Um, yeah, so absolutely, you know, it's hard with the technical guys. It's even harder with the non-technical ones. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the development piece too, uh, if you asked a hundred people that do, you know, drag and drop or build applications nowadays, I, I would bet 90 of, 90 of those hundred kind of just said, well, I, you know, I, security handles that. I don't think anybody would say this is how our, you know, sec dev process works, et cetera. And it, it's not a knock on 
on that side of the community. It's just that they've got other things to do, like build applications. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, that's the developer side. And, you know, and as, as we said, it's also, I'm sorry, maybe you can cut this one off. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, let's go into the, the API side of it, right? Because, uh, so number one, if you wouldn't mind, explain just broad terms for the folks that may not understand what, what is an API and why we should be concerned about APIs. Yeah. So APIs actually enable this interoperability between different apps or programmable uh, uh, components. Uh, so this is actually how applications interact uh, with each other. And basically this, you know, just goes under the radar today. Most organizations are dealing with user access management. They have this covered with different kinds of tools, right? Um, but got no idea what's going on with their programmable access, so with their APIs that they are connecting to their core systems. And there are a lot of solutions also out there. We've seen a lot of them the last couple of years that deal with what we call API security, right? So this is actually securing the APIs that we developed and exposed for others to consume from, from within, our, uh, within our product, right? What we're looking at is the other side of this. So these are API connections or integrations that are done to our core systems, not to the systems that we develop, but to our CRM, to our mailing system, to, to databases that we're um, using, could be an S3 bucket or, or BigQuery, right? Um, and this is really a, a, you know, an area that we're seeing so many different uh, connections that are just left unmanaged, you know, the opposite of zero trust, right? Um, which which is kind of a, a kind of crazy, really. So we're calling it kind of a non-user connection security, right? Yeah, I mean, in in the con since you mentioned it with the context of ZT, how, how specifically do you feel like what you're doing fits into enabling zero trust? Yeah. So, so first of all, when you connect things via API, it's really a matter of yes or no, right? When a third party asks for uh, permissions, you kind of can accept it or not. And that's, of course, the basic, you know, opposite of, uh, of, of zero trust. Of course, it doesn't go through your perimeter. So if you have two cloud applications that interact with each other, you can't really push it through a VPN or something like that. Um, it's, you know, cloud to cloud communication. And there's this basic tensions between how scopes work. So scopes are the permissions that are given to third party apps these days. Um, and it's always the tension between usability and security, right? So these scopes are always overprivileged and always not granular enough. Um, when you think of it, you don't have single sign-on, you don't have a 2FA, MFA, stuff like that for third-party apps. So it's really very hard, not only to understand what's connected, but also to monitor and secure these, uh, these connections. And actually, it's just, you know, currently, it's really the opposite of zero trust. You put full trust in these uh, third-party apps, even if you go through, as we said before, the vendor questionnaires, right? So they answer these uh, questions and you just trust the answers, right? You don't actually verify how these third parties actually behave during the uh, lifetime of being connected uh, um, to our uh, environment. And this is exactly the problem uh, that Asterix is here to solve. And we're actually breaking it in a completely unique way. So we're looking at these third parties in the API level, right? We're looking at how they actually behave, um, who actually built this, who actually connected this and when with what permissions, is it overprivileged? Is it being used at all, right? Should it be there? Um, is it behaving normally as we expected as, you know, as the third party uh, um, um, uh, promised it will? Um, and of course, uh, you know, bugs like we saw in the last couple of months. So 
uh, really flagging these and understanding that there is something uh, either malicious or suspicious uh, going on. So just not trusting APIs, just like we should not trust any other um, access today. So that, I mean, that, that really kind of goes into like a visibility analytics side, sort of identity access management piece um, because APIs, I mean, like you're talking about APIs and these applications are acting like, um, I guess you'd call them almost entities inside of a infrastructure. They're doing things. Yeah, yeah, they're actually identities, but they're entities, as you said. Yeah, they're not users, but they have their identity and they're getting access more and more. They're being uh, you know, more and more interconnected. And yeah, this is something, you know, some of our customers actually call us the kind of Okta for APIs or Okta for non-users, right? Because we're this central point that provides a single pane of glass to understand how everything connects to everything. What's the landscape of, of, of apps? Um, interconnected uh, that you have in the organizations. And by the way, it doesn't really have to be only third-party apps. It could also be different secrets, credentials, keys, tokens, right, that you generate and then use uh, manually. So there's not necessarily a third-party app or a vendor on the other side. As I said, right, it's the organization, it's it's end users. Sometimes that's even more risky and, and, um, and you know, just redundant or could get stolen. Um, yeah. And with with the type of capabilities that you're offering, how is that stuff priced out? Is it by you know data moving through the network? Is it by applications you're touching? And I think uh, the reason I'm asking is because I think a lot of folks are always wondering, you know, how would I how would I budget for this? Um, how how do you price that out? Yeah. So so as I said, you know, we, we maybe I didn't say it. So we actually started working uh, last year. So still quite a young company. Uh, been running fast uh, uh, since, so we're just uh, past 20 employees. We got our product uh, in GA, customers around the world, um, IPO, global, most of them U.S. enterprises. But we're keeping the business model very, very simple to start with. Um, so really, we price a pair platform. So depending on the number of core platforms um, you really want to secure, uh, you can really think of it, as I said, like Okta, right? The connecting and having single sign-on and and uh, user access management for a specific set of uh, of of platforms. Uh, so the same thing uh, as we look at it, um, the pricing model and the business model could, you know, evolve uh, as we go uh, into the future. Uh, but that's the basic of it. Okay. I, w I want to real quickly just kind of ask a couple questions about the Israeli cyber scene in the market because I mean it. At RSA this year, I think there was just a, a constant stream of planes from Tel Aviv landing in San Francisco that were all Israeli. So, like, where, why is the cybersecurity market and funding and all these things that are good for cyber businesses and startups? Is it why is it so good in Tel Aviv and Israel right now? Yeah, actually, I, I was shocked. You know, working walking around the streets of uh, San Francisco during uh, RSA, and he, I wasn't sure if I'm hearing more Hebrew. Oh, is everyone English? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I think I think you know the ecosystem here, having the A two hundred unit, being a small country, um, understanding that you know we're always under threat, you're always under budget, you always have to find new innovative ways to secure and to thrive in this uh, uh, environment um, is really what kind of generates right this uh, both entrepreneurial um, spirit but also uh, the innovation kind of a, a state of mind. Uh, yeah, and you know, of course the army has a lot to do with it, um, specifically the A200 uh, uh, unit, 
Um, you really get in a young age, super advanced uh, um, uh, trainings and a lot of responsibility, um, you know, a lot, a lot of time uh, to do your tasks, right? Uh, everything is under pressure. So this really sounds like, you know, j just like a startup. Um, yeah, and, and also I would add, I think in the last couple of years, the ecosystem here has really uh, got more and more mature as Israeli startups are, you know, uh, taking a global uh, IPOs and stuff like that. So um, as a young entrepreneur looking, you know, at your, uh, at your peers around and saying, all right, I can do that, right? I can be the next checkpoint, right? Um, I can be the next whiz. I can be the next uh, big thing. Um, so that's very encouraging. And this is actually something, you know, we didn't have maybe five years ago um, and also adds, you know, more fuel um, into this uh, ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's come, I mean, I, you know, being from Ford Mead and working for, you know, the three letters that we call them over here. I mean, I, I was aware of 8200 and all that before, but it seems like in the last, I don't know, call it 18 months, two years, all of a sudden it's just been, you know, Israeli cyber startup. 8200 done i mean you could you could script all of the stuff coming out of there it's a great thing i just was i'm just interested you know from the market wise like all why all of a sudden it's become such a thing but i mean it's probably a combination of factors including people leaving the unit and etc so it's it's good but yeah you're right at rsa this year i heard hebrew about every 10 steps yeah no i was actually on one of those planes uh, flying direct from Tel Aviv to San Francisco, like so, the, the entire plane was, you know, cybersecurity companies. I'm sure, you know, the GDP of Israel could have uh, fallen dramatically if something <laughs> would have happened to that flight. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a bad day. Okay, well, so we talked about API stuff. We talked about uh, application application. We kind of went through bad code, no code, low code. Uh, we talked a little bit about the 8200 stuff and. I just wanted to, to wrap up with kind of your thoughts and what you would tell somebody. Everybody always tells everybody else what they think they should do. I always like to say what you shouldn't do. So, you know, what would be your two cents on anything, anything you would tell someone not to do? Maybe it's business or maybe it's uh, starting your own company or maybe it's security or zero trust. Like what would be your don't do this? Yeah. Good question. So I think we all understand or should understand that uh, IT is democratizing. Um, end users need to get the job done. They'll do their stuff. And we need to really uh, propagate our, uh, our responsibilities and trust. And end users need to understand, you know, to get out of this uh, consent fatigue, right? And not uh, just uh, click uh, third-party tools and apps connecting them uh, to their accounts. So really uh, being more aware into what we're providing access to, even if it's not a human, right? Even if it's a, a programmable kind of access. These are, you know... Um, maybe overlooked, but uh, much more threatening. And this is exactly, you know, uh, why we wake up uh, every morning uh, trying to bring this uh, uh, more and more into light. Great stuff. Well, there you have it uh, from uh, Jackson, as he likes to go by. Uh, Asterix, right, is the name of the company? Asterix, exactly. Asterix, another one out of Tel Aviv doing great things. If you're looking to uh, talk about this type of issue, reach out to them. So thanks much for jumping on today. Thank you very much for having me, Chase. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from 
the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.